this podcast. Hello? Is there somebody there? Can you hear me? You're scaring me. The following presentation is intended only for immature audiences. And God said, let there be F-bombs. And they were good. And they multiplied. Right here in this podcast. <laughs> I like it. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It's been about two weeks since my last episode. Thank you for bringing this to our attention. Management staff will contact you soon. This is gonna suck. Hey there, and welcome back to the Hansel and Gretel Code. This here is episode 28. I hope this is worth it. Yes, this is amazing. I am totally impressed by everything that's happening here. In our last episode, we talked about the two camps that every miracle worker from the Bible got thrown into. Camp Holy Holy, where guys like Moses and all the apostles must have learned how to perform signs and work miracles. And Camp Runamuck, or I mean Camp Simon, which was named after Simon Magus. Now the Bible said that Camp Simon was on the wrong side of the lake, and that nobody over there could perform signs and work miracles. All they ever did there was sorcery and magic, and uh, boasting. They did a lot of boasting. When did that look in your own canoe? Paddle away. Congratulations, gentlemen. Well done. Um, not boating. Boasting. You know. Of all the worst possible things! Eh, come on. When you know you're good, what's wrong with letting everyone else know, too? I'm handsome, I'm fat, I'm pretty, and can't possibly be beat! Exactly. Well, despite all the animosity in the Bible's fair and balanced reporting, we still figured that Simon, the Apostles, and every other holy, holy guy from the Bible had to have been an honest-to-God theurgist. Jesus Christ. Uh, yeah. Him, too. What? Hey, no matter which camp they fell into, each and every one of them could perform the exact same sort of miracles. Yet, according to the Bible, hanging out in Camp Simon... Oh, that was a big bozo no-no. And no, it wasn't because Simon's campers got to enjoy, uh, free love, baby. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, well, it was only because the Vatican bosses said, Because I said so. That's why. Boo. Still, 
Despite playing the tyrannical trump card of parental authority, the Vatican did make an effort to win hearts and minds. Way back in the second century, their propaganda, or I mean PR department, started a very clever and very lengthy smear campaign, or I mean game of telephone. In it, those initial biblical slurs and rumors about Simon he passed from writer to writer to writer until everyone in Christendom came to believe that Simon, along with every other theurgist outside the Vatican franchise, was in league with the devil. Oh, absolutely. I got 99 problems, but the devil ain't one. Part 1 Teil 1 In which we listen in on a game of Vatican Telephone Hear about the earliest Marvel comic book ever written And pick up some titillating bit of gospel Uh, I mean gossip Barry and I have been talking here and we're trying to get things figured out And we don't know if the hot tub thing is going to work out for us now or not Oh my so, deep down in this rabbit hole of theurgy, the Comian Sibyl is going to introduce us to one of the earliest stars of that centuries-long game of telephone. And uh, here he is, Justin Martyr. Uh, what's that? Huh? Read my lips. All right. Justin wants us to know that he wasn't no goddamn theurgist. And he doesn't give interviews. A real wimp. Eh, it's okay. It's just as well, too. I'm not very good at interviewing people. But I do enjoy reading between the lines of all the stuff they wrote. And around the year 155, Common Era, Justin mentioned Simon in one of his most famous texts something known as his first apology. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, well, Justin wasn't apologizing. This apology thing was more of a long op-ed defending Christianity against persecution. Actually, it was a kind of Christian Lives Matter petition that the Roman emperor it was addressed to he probably never bothered to read. Not good. Justin was one of the first-ever Vatican PR specialists. And in mentioning Simon, he probably figured that he knew more about him than anyone else, since they both came from the same neck of the woods in Samaria. Still, he lived about a hundred years after Simon, so all he was doing was playing telephone. He didn't bother to play Simon Says. Instead, he passed on this uh, little tidbit. There is Simon, a certain Samaritan, who by his magic arts and with the powers of darkness did such wonderful feats in the imperial city of Rome that he gained the reputation of a god. I will follow you like your shadow. So, uh, Justin, 
where did you get the idea of this business of miracles in Rome? Were you uh, just making it up? All right, all right, all right. No interviews. I got it. Well, it's obvious you were just repeating that miracle business from someone else up the line. Some anonymous somebody had already written a very long piece about Simon and called it the Acts of Peter. And this Acts of Peter thing was one of five books about the apostles that never made it into the Bible. Why not? Well, that's probably because of the wild and crazy miracles in it. Huh? As far as I can tell, the Acts really should be called The Adventures of Peter, since it reads more like a Marvel comic book than anything else. Oh, very nice. Vatican bosses, though, must have thought the whole thing was a little too fictional to sign off on as, uh, gospel. What? Hey, for one thing, it has St. Peter. He's showing off such pious and holy miracle powers as making dogs and babies speak like adult humans. I don't think I'm tall enough. And then it has Simon using the kind of wushu power you might remember from Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. You know, flying. Yes! Put your hands up in the air! Well, in the story, Simon and Peter are having a contest to prove who is really holier than thou. So when Simon starts flying around the rooftops of Rome, Peter... He sends up a bat signal, or I mean, he calls on God to send some muscle and make him stop. Uh Uh-oh. You do the job because the job has to be done. Capish? Yeah, next thing you know, Simon's writhing on the ground with broken kneecaps. Ouch. You can read the adventures of, uh, or I mean, the acts of Peter. For yourself, online. They're pretty entertaining. I'll leave a link. Good idea. So, even though Justin was mostly copying and pasting, he was still one of the earliest links in that millennia-long game of telephone. And as such, he might have been the first guy to pass on the rumor that a certain Helena, who strolled about with Simon, had been a common prostitute. Okay, well, while there's good evidence that Simon did, indeed, hang with a former sex worker, let's not forget that Mary Magdalene, the, uh, friend of Jesus, had a reputation as a former, uh, um, uh, working girl. Yes, I know. Of course, the Mary Magdalene thing, that wasn't smoking gun factual. It was just a titillating bit of biblical gossip until Pope St. Gregory turned it into a titillating bit of gospel. Back in the 6th century, Gregory gave one humdinger of a sermon in which he called Mary Magdalene a reformed, uh, er, um, you know. And, uh, well, popes, they're supposed to be infallible, right? Yes, sir. Now, I don't want to cast no aspersions, 
But uh, whether or not Mary and Jesus did actually know each other in a uh, biblical manner? We're just friends. Well, they sure did hang together. So I think you can see where I'm going with that sort of argument. You're disgusting. Yeah, yeah. Part 2 Teil 2 In which we do some fair and balanced reporting. Fair and balanced questioning. That's uh, not funny. Well, before we go any further down this tunnel of theurgy, I do want to mention another... Uh, fair and balanced. ...report from around the same time period as Justin. It comes from another pious Christian apologist known as Origen, or Oregon. Beats me how he pronounced it himself. Anyway, Origen wrote a ridiculously long and nasty opinion piece in response to another ridiculously long and nasty op-ed by a guy named Celsus. And I don't know what's with these guys, but neither one of them has agreed to an interview. Damn! So, this Celsus character? He apparently saw what I saw when I began wondering what possible difference there could have been between the holy miracle workers of the Bible and theurgists in general. Because, as far as I can tell, there isn't any. Celsus, though, he twisted that simple logical conclusion back into a typically contentious and sanctimonious religious pretzel by claiming that Jesus was a sorcerer who performed his miracles by way of Goetia. What's that? Oh, that's the dark form of theurgic magic attributed to the power of demons. Well, she had demons. I guess like everyone has demons. Hmm. You do remember Goetia from back in episode 25, right? No. All right. Well, all you need to know is, while Celsus insisted that the miracles and magic performed by Jesus were all a, a sham, a trick, and a humbug perpetrated by demons. Christian apologists like Origen and Justin Martyr insisted that the miracles and magic performed by the theurgists like Simon were all a sham, a trick, and a humbug perpetrated by demons. Oh, that's a lot of fake news. Whoa! Okay, I got a confession to make. What I just said, it's not exactly true. Uh, excuse you. Yeah, well, if I'm gonna be... Fair and balanced. ...about reporting these historical facts to you, I gotta admit, Celsus, well, he actually believed the miracles performed by Jesus were the real deal. He just claimed that they came about through the power of demons. That's just made up. Origin, too. He seemed to believe that the miracles of ordinary theurgists like Simon were real as well. Just, uh, terribly unwholesome, if not downright evil. Because, uh, for him, guys like Simon were sorcerers, whose considerable powers of divination, of astrology, of healing, and, uh, probably even of flying. It was all the work of demons. Oh my god, I wish I had my curse. 
And I know I'm drunk, so I'm gonna be a little bit bad. But if I had my curse, I could just fly around and shoot people. Oh my god. Good heavens, what a terrible curse. <clears throat> now, as I said in episode 27, herein lies the crux of the matter of theurgy, magic, and miracles. Not to mention a whole shitload of medieval history. The object of theurgy was never to make statues move or give you the superpower to go flying around rooftops. And it certainly wasn't to turn water into wine or even to take a nice little stroll across the lake. Sure, it was all pretty miraculous and sensational and must have impressed the crap out of people who thought maybe they could sign up for camp and learn how to do all that stuff themselves. I like that! Yeah, well, the object of theurgy was none of that. It was to return your soul to its divine origin. Now, as the name suggests, theurgy is very much a religious practice. And yet, magic, miracle, and divination, they were all well-documented byproducts of theurgic practice. As for theurgists themselves, some of them, they were all about using whatever miracle powers they conjured up for ethical and moral purposes. In other words, for... Truth, justice, and the American way. And now, another exciting episode... Of course, others used whatever powers they could conjure up to basically fuck other people over. I'm gonna fuck you up now! And that's what led to the idea of sorcery or goetia or black magic. Naturally. But in all cases, the power to produce any sort of miracle, whether nasty or nice, lay in the hands of the god, the goddess, or the demon being theurgically appealed to. Not in the hands of the theurgist. That's a lot of fake news! Now, believing he was clearing up the matter once and for all, and of course, defending Jesus against the slander of Celsus, Origen wrote, That which is brought about by the might of God has nothing in common with the product of sorcery. By sorcery, of course, he meant the might or power of demons. But of course, that settles nothing. Human nature being what it is, the mighty god or goddess of your faith, belief, trust, and religion, it's bound to be someone else's demon. Real theurgy, which is no joke, involves getting yourself right with your god or goddess, whoever the heaven or hell that might be. You dare to face a goddess? The only problem with theurgic practice involves figuring out if the god or goddess you worship wasn't really just a reflection of your own selfish ego as opposed to your own soul. Because, psychologically speaking, getting yourself right with your god really does mean getting yourself right with yourself. And in this culture... Dude, that ain't no easy task. In fact, in any culture, 
getting yourself right with yourself. It's such a miracle that throughout history, it actually allowed theurgists to perform all sorts of wild and crazy miracles. Stuff that nobody seems able to do anymore. It really, really fucking sucks. Now, I don't know about you, but I suspect that our current inability to perform theurgic miracles has way more to do with the serious difficulties we all face in getting to know who the hell we really are. I mean, more of that than any other possible reason. I mean, uh, really. Given the non-stop distractions of modern life and technology, how the hell are we supposed to get right with ourselves when paying attention to who that self might actually be? It's the last thing on the to-do list of any typical day. Uh, I don't know. Hey, check your blood sugar. Part 3 Teil 3 In which we get the deeds on the first ever game of Simon Says. There's no need to memorize complex rules. So, Simon Says... Let's play. Yay! Okay, so Justin Martyr never specifically said, Simon Says. Did somebody do it? Uh, yep. In the year 180, Common Era, a guy by the name of St. Irenaeus, well, he's the one who did. And in doing so, he pretty much invented the game of Simon Says. Really? Just one thing. What? Irenaeus, uh, he called it Simon Said. Eh, but why quibble? You know, first iteration and all. <laughs> Actually, that first game was kind of a mashup of Simon Says and Telephone. And in it, Irenaeus passed on that salacious business he'd heard from Justin about Simon's girlfriend, Helena. But then, he managed to add something new, something extra. What's that? He gave the game a nice, new age touch by mentioning Helena's past lives. Oh boy. Oh boy. So, uh, you ready for this? Why the fuck not? Simon said. Helena, passing from life to life and from body to body, and suffering insults in every one of them, at last became a common prostitute. Oh, that's not good. Simon said he came to free her from slavery. That's Simon said he was the Messiah who conferred salvation upon men. Uh, <laughs> interesting. Irenaeus said... Simon was the world's first heretic. Oops, sorry. Mm-mm, you're wrong. Game over. Um, Simon didn't say that. Oh, no. Hey, don't worry. It's only the first round of Simon Says. Obviously, Simon didn't call himself a heretic. Irenaeus did. Not only that, in order to have heretics you first got to have a nice, rigid, dogmatic creed for someone to deviate from. Naturally. 
Except, uh, back in the time of Arrhenius, there wasn't one. Excuse me? Oh, fact is, there wasn't going to be a creed for another 150 years or so. Not until the First Council of Nicaea in 325 Common Era. Which, by the way, made it an official rule that no priest was allowed to turn himself into a eunuch. Oh, brother. I guess Irenaeus was just a man ahead of his time, showing all the future generations of heretic hunters how to do it. See, once you do have an official creed, you need a whole bunch of conservative, orthodox Virgos and Capricorns like Irenaeus to keep their finger on the button. So whenever anyone says something that isn't in the creed, you hear... Oops, sorry. Mm-mm. You're wrong. Definitely. Part 4. Teil 4. In which we get chased off the Vatican lawn and find out how they dealt with January 6th, 2,000 years ago. You kids get off my lawn! Wow. Asshole. About 30 years after Arrhenius, a guy named Hippolytus, uh, he pretty much perfected the game of Simon Says. So this is around the year 218 Common Era. Hippolytus uh, may or may not have been a disciple of Arrhenius, which uh, already tells you something about his attitude. But talk about right wing, or I mean being conservative-minded. Hippolytus was so incensed by the liberal attitude of Pope Calixtus I, he made his followers, the Hippolytians, or, I don't know, the Hippopolitans, whatever they call themselves, he made them elect him as Pope. I don't think it would be that hard to implement. Now, back then, I guess they didn't think of storming the Capitol, or I mean the Vatican and kicking the other guy out. Of course, there was no St. Peter's back then, so I guess that's why there was no Catholic January the 6th. Oh, and I suppose you think that's funny, huh? Just saying, it meant Catholics were left with two popes. I'm thinking this is a double duality. And what do you know? Considering that the church was only 200 years old, this wasn't even a first. I mean... Hippolytus wasn't even the first antipope. Now, I don't know where Hippolytus had his office, but during his reign, a few more Vatican popes came and went, until finally, the Roman emperor kicked both popes out and had them banished to Sardinia, which I guess at the time was considered a pretty nasty sort of place. I hate it with a passion. Well... I don't know about that, but you ever hear of Kazumatsu? It's some shitty-ass wine. Uh, no, it's not. It's the Sardinian cheese that uh, isn't ready to eat until you can see maggots start squirming around in it. Yippee! Oddly enough, the author of our fairy tale might not have been able to play Simon Says, and certainly not with Hippolytus. Why not? 
Well, because the books in which Hippolytus wrote, Simon says, they were lost to posterity for about a thousand years, and they were only rediscovered in 1842, 30 years after the Grimm's first edition. But we still run into Hippolytus down here in this theurgic tunnel. And that's because in Book 6, he relates a good chunk of the so-called Apophysis Megale, which is a huge record of all the things Simon said to his happy campers back at Camp Simon. And while it makes for an interesting read, I'm just going to give you two little heretical, obstetrical snippets from it. Uh? Simon says, Paradise is the womb. This is disgusting. I love it. Simon says, The river irrigating the Garden of Eden is the umbilical cord. I'm not saying nothing. Well, as I said, our fairy tale author didn't have access to Hippolytus in these fairly direct Simon Says quotes. Instead, our author would have had access to some of those ideas from a Latin text published in Europe as early as the 16th century. And I'm talking about the so-called Panarion. Uh, no, not Panarin. It's, uh, Panarion. Uh, <laughs> well, the Panarion, it was written around the late 4th century by a very cranky guy whose name was Epiphanius. You kids, get off my lawn! I don't know if he had a lawn, but you can tell Epiphanius was a crank because he was just like Professor Wagstaff of Huxley College. What? Whatever it is, he's against it. You are kidding, right? Hey, I kid you not. Whatever it is, I'm against it. Oh boy. The title of 71 of its 80 chapters begins with the word against. For our purposes, chapter 21 is called Against Simonians. And it lists about 20 things that would make a great game of Simon Says. Except Epiphanius was so incensed by everyone and everything outside the confines of orthodoxy, he completely screws up the game. Because he always forgets to say, Simon Says. Or even, Simon Said. Of course, as a typically balanced reporter, he did manage to give the world a taste of Simon's ideas. Except we don't know exactly what Simon said, or even how he said it, since his original words disappeared in some uh, pious and remarkably thorough book burnings. Still, the Panarion mm, makes for hilarious reading, if only because Epiphanius can't help using the kind of snide remarks and sarcastic asides that would easily make him a Fox News favorite. Anybody who disagrees with me is just a fucking bitch. I mean, really. Fair and balanced. So I'm not going to read any of this Panarian business to you. Thank you. But I do want to share 
just a taste of something much more entertaining than even those comical adventures, or I mean, acts of Peter. Except, uh, oh boy, the Comian Sybil, she's given me the high sign again. So I guess it's time for another pit stop. Box, take confirm, please, Max. Box, take confirm. In our next episode, we're going to get to that third round of Simon Says when we take a look at one of the very first historical novels ever written, a medieval bestseller known as The Clementine Recognitions. Oh, boy. Yeah, I know. Catchy title, right? Trust me, it really is hilarious, as well as being historically important. Now, I know it may seem like we're kind of standing still, but we're still working our way through the theurgic symbolism in Hansel's moon rocks. And boy, did that kid have stones. I have a good one. Oh, that's my industrial. In the meantime... Talk amongst yourselves! No, we don't have a website. Oh, yes we do. And, uh, you know the drill. Visit us on the web at www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.